And good afternoon on this Friday afternoon. I am really looking forward to today's show. Hello, Dan. What's going on, Buzz? It's Friday. It is Friday. Um, We have Natalie Blay here. We have the Duke here. Uh, Duke Goldman is going to be joining us for the first uh, in what's going to be a, um, I hope, permanent segment called Fair Play, where he's going to be marrying his uh, exhaustive knowledge and passion for sports with his knowledge and passion for fairness and social justice. And uh, so he's going to start that at 4.30. And uh, so hang around, everybody, because that's going to be very interesting to anybody who's got a passion for either uh, social justice or sports. But uh, right now we have uh, one of my faves, Representative Natalie Blay. But Natalie, um, I understand that you've contracted the dreaded virus. Buzz, I have contracted COVID. <laughs> I, I've uh, I've not had it up until this point in time, and uh, and I came down with symptoms on July third. I I get I get pretty bad allergies, and the only reason why I tested was because I had family coming in from out of state, and I wanted to make sure that I was COVID negative. Well, I took the test, and it turns out that I was. COVID positive. Not what you expected when you took the test. (laughs) That is exactly right. But it provided me with valuable information uh, so that I could protect my family who was visiting from out of state. Um, And so I I just, I feel like my dogs are fighting over a bone right now. Uh, (laughs) I do feel that, you know, it's important to to talk about the fact that there are some really contagious uh, COVID strains out there right now. Uh, we are still living with COVID, and the importance of getting tested if you are symptomatic uh, in order to protect other people and certainly care for yourself. Uh, right now, anyone uh, ages six months or older is eligible to be vaccinated. Everyone five years and older is eligible to be boosted, and you can get more information on the vaccine at vaxfinder.mass.gov. And if you do end up, you know, the first call that I made was to my primary care physician. Uh, if you do test positive, you could certainly check with your primary care physician. You could touch base with any of our incredible community health centers. Uh, and there is a telehealth option available for free uh, at mass.gov slash COVID telehealth where you can talk to somebody over, you know, over, over the phone online uh, to determine if a COVID therapeutic treatment like Paxlovid might be right for you. Uh, so I just wanted to let everybody know, if you haven't seen me over the last week, that's why. Uh, it's why I was not in the Chesterfield July 4th parade, uh, <laughs> okay. which is one of the very, <laughs> one of the very best for the July parades in Western Massachusetts. Uh, it's not because I didn't want to be there. Uh, it's because I was quarantining in my house to make sure that I was protecting uh, everyone around me and, and really taking this very seriously. So talk to us about your symptoms. How how much am I exploiting uh, uh, our good representative by forcing you to be on the air today? How, how do you feel at this, <laughs> at this moment? How do you I'm feel? Okay. I'm okay today. You know, it's, it's day five. Uh, the first day I had a stuffy nose, and a sore throat. 
so that's what made me think it was allergies. Uh, if, if I hadn't have had family come in, I probably would have continued to chalk it up to allergies. Uh, but certainly if you're having any of those symptoms, loss of taste, loss of smell, um, fever, chills, anything along those lines, I think it's certainly worth taking a test to, it's particularly right now when we are seeing an uptick in cases, just to be on the safe side and make sure that you're caring for yourself and those around you. Well, Representative Natalie Blay, I have a confession I'd like to make. And it goes okay, like... Okay, what do you got? Well, this is what I got. <laughs> Even though I try to be understanding of people, I understand we're all products of our experience and our education and the family in which we were raised. I ha- I don't have a lot of tolerance any longer for people who refuse to get vaxxed. I mean, I just... Mm. It's very hard for me to um, understand that level of uh, insistence on ignorance. And... Um, so you're a very kind, generous, understanding, and worldly woman. Tell me how you feel when you hear that somebody is an anti-vaxxer. You know, I, I think it's important to, to turn to the facts. Uh, we know that the vaccines are effective. We know that the boosters are doing what they are intended to do. Um, they're not preventing COVID. They are making sure that your symptoms are not as bad as they would be without the vaccine and the booster. Uh, we know this science, uh, science has proven it. Uh, so certainly if you have not been vaccinated or boosted, uh, there are plenty of opportunities in this region for you to do so. And I highly recommend it having uh, just co- contracted the virus. And you know, I, I thought back to when COVID was originally um, happening and uh, felt very lucky now to have been vaccinated and boosted because people at the beginning of this pandemic did not have that luxury. And, and we lost many, many friends, many family members, uh, and there is a deep sense of loss in our community as a result of people not being able to take advantage of the vaccine because it simply wasn't available at that time. Indeed. Well, I guess there's two takeaways before we turn to the legislature. Uh, number one, um, please get vaccinated and boosted. Vaxfinder.mass.gov. Um, and number two, um, since she's such a nicer person than Buzz Eisenberg is and so much more tolerant, vote for <laughs> Natalie Blay. Those are the takeaways <laughs> from that conversation. So um, we are, right now, uh, the legislature is busy, um, and uh, you've been working on the Roe Act. Can you tell folks about what the Roe Act is and what you guys have been doing? Yeah, this is always a really busy time of year for the legislature in advance of the end of session, which is the last day of July on the second year of our two-year session. So right now we're in the second year of our 192nd session. Uh, So we wrap up the last day of July. Uh, As we're wrapping up all of our regular legislative business, uh, we are also reacting to many of the Supreme Court decisions that are being handed down right now. Uh, And this is not me lapping up water in the background, if you can hear it. This is Frank's dog. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they're, they're causing all sorts of trouble today as I'm on with you, Buzz. Right. Um, well, yeah, because Natalie is quarantined <laughs> in her cell 
at home with a dog. <laughs> Uh, so our, our work is being complicated by the fact that the Supreme Court is uh, making decisions that are impacting residents of the Commonwealth, including overturning Roe v. Wade. Uh, so that decision was made by the Supreme Court not last week, but the Friday before. And, you know, four short days following the release of that official decision, uh, the Massachusetts House took action. Uh, we... <clears throat> voted on an act expanding protections for reproductive rights. And that was in direct response to the U.S. Supreme Court's overturning of Roe v. Wade. Uh, this is comprehensive legislation that further protects reproductive health care and gender-affirming services in the Commonwealth. Uh, because we know that although abortion remains legal here in Massachusetts, due to the fact that we took action in 2020 to codify and expand access via the Roe Act. Uh, we really needed to further protect these rights uh, and establish additional safeguards following uh, that action by the U.S. Supreme Court. It was so comforting to see how quickly the legislature moved and that the governor was supportive of that move. Yeah, he did issue an executive, uh, an executive order there and I think the bottom line is you, you, that federal decision was not about acceptance. It, it was not about providing a sense of security. Uh, it certainly was not about providing protection. Uh, but because of this this legislature, you know, I think both on the House and the Senate side, you know, the fact that we are, as legislators, elected by the people, you know, it is our duty and our obligation to enshrine legislation that will protect the rights of individuals when, when others who are not elected by the people strip them away. So last week was just one step that our legislature took not only to uphold our Massachusetts Constitution, but also the 14th Amendment guarantee of liberty. Um, and we, I, I do believe that we will continue to to take action, uh, not only on things like this, but also on gun safety uh, and other actions uh, that, that we might be seeing. Here, here. Uh, in the two minutes we have before we take a break, I wanted to ask you about the House, uh, uh, what happened in the House with respect to the transportation bond bill. Tell us about that. Yeah, we also, we passed the transportation bond bill in the House. Uh, the Senate will be taking it up next week. Uh, this was a it was a big bill because many people are really tuned into East West Rail uh, and Western Mass Rail expansion. Generally speaking, uh, we were able to get 250 million dollars authorized for uh, East West Rail, and uh, there's language in there to establish a commission to look at a Western Mass Rail authority that really takes a look at the network. Of, of rail opportunities that we currently have here in Western Massachusetts, including the Berkshire Flyer, which is having its first trip, I think, right now. Uh, I was texting with Senator Adam Hines. I believe he's on his way to New York uh, on the Berkshire Flyer service. It's very first run. Uh, we have the Knowledge Corridor uh, with the, the Vermonter and the Valley Flyer, which is really the ridership is off the charts. We have the potential for east-west rails along the southern route, and then there's a feasibility study happening on the northern tier. So there is a real renaissance for rail here in western Massachusetts, and we wanted to make sure we were capitalizing on that. Does it look good for the Senate? 
Yes. Yeah, we have a tremendous partner in Senator Joe Comerford. Uh, and, and I have to say that the entire Western Massachusetts delegation on both the House and the Senate side in four counties have been united uh, in their work together on this uh, to advance rail here in Western Massachusetts. It's really been an extraordinary partnership, uh, one that really has never been done before amongst all of the legislators in all four counties. And we are waiting with bated breath. We're so excited. Although on this show, we've never referred to it as East-West Rail. We call it West-East <laughs> Rail. West-East. Smitty thinks the hell he was here. Woo! Yeah, he's having a field day with me. Right. And tomorrow, uh, my friend and law partner, uh, Paul Weinberg, has scored us really good tickets for the Yankees-Red Sox. And I just wish we had a train to go. Instead, yeah. we're going to be driving and using up yeah. more fossil fuels. Yes. Yeah, yes. so there yes. you go. So thank you for that. We're going to take a break. We're talking with um, the um, uh, ever... Stuffy. Stuffy Natalie Blay. <laughs> the confined <laughs> <laughs> representative Natalie Blay. The ever congested Natalie Blay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll ask her during the break she'll blow her nose and she'll be back with us right after this this is the afternoon buzz with Buzz Eisenberg 101.5 WHMP When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. We have a very unique and lethal combination of emboldened white supremacy in this country and unfettered access to guns. We need to keep talking about the intersection of white supremacy and guns. Guns are used in order to you know, elicit fear and power and control by white supremacists. And it's not an issue that's going away easily. 1015, 1400, and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. Do you know what's going on in business in Western Mass? You do if you read Business West. Find out which companies are growing, which companies are innovating. Learn about people on the move, people taking the lead. Every issue of Business West is packed with business news, including incorporations, building permits, real estate transactions, and bankruptcies. Pick up a copy or read Business West online. The vital business news is in Business West, the business journal of Western Mass. This week's Shop Tuesday is Simple Gifts Farm Store. This Tuesday at 9 a.m., Simple Gifts releases gift certificates for their farm store in North Amherst. Get organic produce, pasture-raised meat, free-range eggs, local dairy, and more at Simple Gifts Farm Store in North Amherst. And this Tuesday, you save 30%. Simple Gifts Farm in North Amherst, available this Shop Tuesday at 9 a.m. on the Shop 30 store at whmp.com. There are farm fresh eggs just around the corner and beef across town. Local food is all around. It's a connection to your community, to the land and the people. There's a handy guide to the farm fresh food all around you, the local hero guide on the CISA website. You never know how close you are to something good for dinner tonight, something harvested just this morning. CISA's local hero guide, your guide to farm fresh food, on the CISA website, buylocalfood.org. The Literacy Project is the place to go if you are an adult hoping to improve your reading, writing, and math skills, or if you want help preparing for the high school equivalency exam. 
The Literacy Project offers free classes at five locations in Franklin and Hampshire counties. We also offer classes to help you prepare for college and to help you plan for a career. If you want to learn, the Literacy Project is the place for you. To find out about Literacy Project classes in Northampton, call 413-584-6755. To find out about our classes in Greenfield, Orange, Amherst, and Ware, check us out online at literacyproject.org. The Literacy Project is the place to go if you want support furthering your education and accomplishing career goals. If you want to learn, the Literacy Project is the place for you. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. And we are speaking with Representative Natalie Blay of the Massachusetts uh, legislature uh, representing the first Franklin. Um, so, Natalie, I wanted to ask you, not as a legislator who's going to be talking about policy per se or about pending legislation or about the budget, I want to talk to you as a community leader who I know to be... Um, a sort of iconic representative of a lot of the values that I share with you, my progressive view of the world. I know that people here at WHMP share the same kind of view of the world. I see, um, coming from courts, uh, they say that government, uh, while government can't regulate what people do with concealed weapons, they can regulate what women do with their uterus. And government uh, can't put local government can't put a wall between church and state because church is too important for state to uh, not be interfered with by religion. Um, we can't reduce the size of a bloated military. We can't uh, fade out of fossil fuels. We can't afford daycare for our young kids or college for our older kids. And we can't tax people who have more money than many nation states do. It is a it's despairing sometimes to read the paper in the morning, and I'm a junkie about reading the paper. Mm -hmm. And I'm always looking to people that I respect and, and, and care about to help me place it in a, in, in a historical context for me that I can live with. How do you deal with these insults to our values and intelligence? Wow. Uh, but it is a really... Uh, difficult question. It's a deep question. Um, I, I only ask that question that to people you, who are sick and have a fever. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I was just, you were, you were, you were just listening to can't, we can't, we can't, we can't. And yet there are so many things that we can, you know, we just proved it this last week in the legislature that in the face of what's happening nationally at a state level, at a local level, we can be doing things that, uh, that represent the very best of what we believe in here in Massachusetts. And Buzz, I know that, that you are a legal guy. Uh, I love the Massachusetts Constitution uh, a little bit more than our national constitution. Our Massachusetts Constitution is really an incredible document, and I really encourage anybody who hasn't read it uh, to read it. Uh, it, it really is an amazing document and, and can instill hope. Um, 
you know, I had the opportunity to be at an event with Congressman McGovern recently at Bob's Barbecue. He is great at having coffee hours. And um, in this particular case, it was, it was a gathering at Bob's Barbecue in Sunderland. It was billed as you know, an hour-long event. When, when I showed up in Sunderland, there were cars lined up down Route 116. And people were crammed into the tent behind Bubs. And everyone wanted to ask Jim McGovern a question. Everyone wanted to share their story. It, it may not have been a, a question. It could have just been a comment. They just they felt exactly what you're describing there's a sense of despair. There's a sense of hopelessness right now. And there is a desire to express that in this form. And you know, despite the fact that this event was billed for an hour, Jim McGovern said, I will stay here until every single question is answered. Mm. I, ha- I had to leave uh, an hour and a half in to go back home to, well, to pick up my, my child from work and bring him home. I came back. Jim McGovern was still there three hours later. Wow. So I have to say that we are incredibly lucky here in Massachusetts to have legislators that truly believe that serving constituents, being there for constituents, listening to constituents, sharing this pain um, and this frustration that we're feeling right now is the most important part of our job. And you know, Jim McGovern showed it that showed up that day and did that thing. You know, I stayed there for as long as I could to make sure I was hearing what constituents were feeling. Um, but the fact of the matter is that our constituents do give us hope. Hearing from constituents about what's important to them or how we can make a difference, uh, or you know, things that we can change in the law or. Um, standing up for climate change, whatever it happens to be, it is, if, if we're not hearing from you, then we cannot effectively do our jobs. And so I don't want constituents to, to lose that power and feel that they are powerless because they are extremely powerful. You are powerful. Um, I recently had the opportunity to talk to a group of high schoolers who as part of a civics project, uh, determined that they wanted to talk to their legislator about putting the uh, ingredients for packaging for menstrual products, you know, on on the boxes or containers. And one of the one of the high schoolers said to me, "You know, I really appreciate you being here today. If if we wanted to try to move this forward, it feels like this would be less powerful because we're just students." <laughs> I said, oh, my goodness, you are the most powerful. You, uh, you, you know, your voices mean so very much, and we work for you. So, yes, if you have an idea for a piece of legislation, whether you're a student or an adult uh, or anywhere in between, it is imperative for us as legislators to hear from you uh, because, you know, that's where we get our very best ideas. It's where we um, are uplifted in uh, after reading the headlines of the day to know that people care enough about wanting to improve their community, about improving the state of their commonwealth, about helping their neighbors uh, to reach out to us and say, this is what we can do. 
to make a difference. Well, and that is incredibly powerful. That it is incredibly powerful. What a great place to leave it. I think you just gave us the best gift that any legislator could give to a constituent. <laughs> you, no, seriously, you give us hope. Hope. Well. And so um, I want to thank you. I really wish you uh, well. I'm, I think you're close to being back on your feet. Um, uh, I know how hard you work for uh, all of your constituents, including me. And I really want to thank you for joining us today. And please feel better and get re- reunited with your family and back at it. <laughs> thank you, Buzz. It was good to talk with you. And have a great weekend. You too, Natalie. Thanks a lot. All right. Bye. We- and I'm very excited about this. Uh, the next uh, segment, we're going to be with um, Duke uh, Goldman. We're going to be talking fair play. It's a segment that I'm really looking forward to learning from about uh, fairness in the world of sports. He is a sports historian, and uh, I can't wait. Stay with us. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. The City of Northampton will hold a public forum to discuss purchasing 230 acres of land to expand the 800-acre Sawmill Hills Conservation Area in Florence. The city would need to apply for a $400,000 grant from the Community Preservation Act. The city has a purchase and sale agreement with the land's owner for $690,000. The virtual meeting will be held at 5 p.m. on Monday. The Summer Eats program, which provides free healthy lunches to children throughout the state, kicked off yesterday. Congressman Jim McGovern spoke about the importance of the program. Bottom line is hunger is the worst during the summer months because school is out, so kids don't have access to those daily meals in school, and oftentimes they don't have transportation to get to certain places. And so these summer feeding programs are incredibly important. And one of the things that we did during the pandemic is we allowed for more flexibility with these programs and provided universal free summer meals for everybody. The Summer Eats program runs Monday through Friday from 1130 to 1230. Any child 18 or under is eligible. To find a meal site, visit the Project Bread website. Amherst police are investigating after white supremacist flyers were found over the 4th of July weekend. The flyers from a group called the Nationalist Social Club were found in the Echo Village neighborhood. Police are asking residents in the Echo Hill neighborhood to let them know if they caught any suspicious activity on a doorbell camera or home security system. Keep an eye on the radar this afternoon. Might be an isolated to scattered shower. Otherwise, a little bit on the sticky side and a high of 84 to 88. Mostly cloudy tonight. Slight chance of an evening shower. Overnight low 58 to 64. Mostly sunny, breezy tomorrow. A high of 80 to 84. Dry on Sunday with a high in the low 80s. 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. Every Friday morning, Monty visits the wine snobs to talk about wine at State Street. But I don't see wine here, Ringo. What do you got? Well, who am I? You're the spirit guy. Uh-oh. So you're taking me down the road of spirits. There's custom glass issues. So anything that comes in custom glass is having trouble globally. There was an American whiskey that was the bottle was causing a holdup that was hard to get, right? What one was that? Bullet bourbon. Oh, yeah, right. Which is a custom glass issue. You know, they have all the stuff. Most of these whiskeys are 3, 4, 10, 18 years old. Way before COVID, way before any supply chain issue, so it's not a production issue, it's a bottling and shipping issue. We're tasting whiskey today, and these are all going to be single malts, but a lot of the famous single malts, we're used to ordering them a certain way, but we can't order them in that way because they're not getting in enough of those things. So the price will go up 20 25 $30 on the shelf. We're not going to pass that on to the consumers, we're just going to go, we don't have it, but we have other options. These are single malt whiskey alternatives. I like cheap. Find your favorite whiskey and your next favorite whiskey at State Street. 
Hi, I'm Missy Tatro, Assistant Vice President and Senior Mortgage Originator at Greenfield Cooperative Bank and its Northampton Co-op Bank Division. And I'm Mortgage Originator Jessica Eau Claire. Did you know you can start your pre-qualification or mortgage application online? Head on over to our new website at bestlocalbank.com and apply today. Or if you prefer, come see us in person at one of our Hampshire or Franklin County locations. Right now, we're also giving you the opportunity to save up to $1,000 on your closing costs. That's right. You get $750 plus another $250 when we pre-qualify you for a mortgage. It's the best local mortgage from the best local bank. So come on over to the co-op and see me, Missy Tatro. Or me, Jessica Eau Claire, and save up to $1,000 on your closing costs. Close by September 30th. Be a new first mortgage customer or refinance from another loan provider. Minimum $100,000 loan subject to change or end without notice. Other conditions apply. See bank for details. Greenfield Cooperative Bank is an equal housing lender. Member FDIC. Member DIF. You can count on your friends at the co-op. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. And we are back. You know, um, it's difficult to uh, marry uh, two passions, which I have. Um, the struggle for a better society, um, for more um, civilized ways of governing ourselves and treating each other, and my ridiculous passion for sports, which since I was a kid have been uh, a defining interest in my life. But um, I'm not the only person who shares those passions. And among us is somebody who's really made a career out of sharing those passions. And that is Duke Goldman. And with us today is Duke to begin what I hope is going to be uh, uh, repeat performances, um, segments every other week talking about exactly that marriage of his passion. So hello, Duke, and welcome. Thank you, Buzz. Great so, to be here. It's so great great to have you here. So what do you have for us today? So um, trying to figure out originally how am I going to, what am I going to call this segment? My first thought was, well, it's, it's about um, social justice in the sports machine. And I thought about that, and I thought, nah, too wordy. You know, it doesn't really, doesn't catch, you know. So my wife suggested, how about play fair? And I thought, yeah, that's pretty good. I like play fair. It sounds like a, a wife and mother, doesn't it? Play yes, fair. play fair, you know. But then I thought about it and I thought, no, I think it's really fair play. What are we looking for? What are we looking for in the world, not just sports? We're looking for fair play. And fair play is very much related to the notion of a level playing field. And you hear that expression all the time, you know. Uh, do we have a level playing field? Well, like a lot of a lot of expressions that we use, you know, in general parlance, a lot of expressions come from sports. And the level playing field comes from sports. The notion that sports competition is fair, right? Everyone has an equal shot, you know? And then may the best team win, you know? The true meritocracy. The true meritocracy. But do they, right? Do they, are they, are fields really level in sports, in life? Well, sometimes, literally, they're not level. I mean, I don't, you know, most, most of you fans out there, maybe, maybe there's a few 90-year-olds out there who rem remember when uh, left field in Boston had a, 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 an area that, where, right now where the Green Monster is, it used to be called Duffy's Cliff. 
because you had to run up the field to make a catch. And not long ago in Houston ballpark had Tal's Hill, where, you know, I remember seeing Carlos Beltran making a phenomenal catch for the Mets when he, he had to go up the hill to go up, you know, center field. Um, we also have a reality that ballparks, and, and I should say, you know, baseball is really my, my bread and butter. I mean, I'm, I'm always going to go back to baseball, but we're going to talk about all sports here. I understand what you mean there. Yeah. Um, yes. Yes, you do. I know you do. Um, but um, ballparks are not the same dimensions. A lot of times these days with all the new stats that we have, you'll hear somebody say, um, that, ball, that ball would have only been a home run in, in three to other ballparks, you know, because, you know, you have to adapt. They're not all the same. It's not all equal, okay? But more importantly, figuratively, fields have not been level in our society and in sports, right? Players have been kept out of sports for years because of racism, right? Um, you know, the idea that African Americans could not play in what was then known the major leagues until 1947. By the way, they did play in the major leagues in 1884. A lot of people don't know that. Jackie Robinson reintegrated baseball. And we're going to talk about football and football's reintegration also. A lot of people do not know about this history. But there has been racism. There has been anti-Native American slurs. Um, um, Jews in sports have often faced virulent anti-Semitism. Women have faced barriers in sports since, you know, since the beginning of time, you know, as players, as coaches, trying to break, you know, break the glass ceiling, as some people call it. Um, and how about gay people in sports, right? I mean, I'm still blown away at the reality that there is no openly gay person in baseball. We have had national gay marriage, I think, now mm. for seven years. Is that true? And there is never, there has never been an openly gay player in Major League Baseball. Wow. We've had only a few in football and basketball. We've had Major League players who came out afterwards. But here we have now, and we have well over 1,000 players right now, that means, you know, if we go by the statistics, we would expect something like maybe 70, 80 players are gay. You at would least. think, yeah. And not a single one of them apparently feels comfortable coming out. And I would, I would say to you there that that speaks to more than just vestiges of, you know, of, of homophobia and the concern of how they will be um, talked about and how, how people for will their feel whole about life them. for their whole it, life. It's residual from their childhood. Right. right. So, you know, clearly what we still see in sports is like what we see in the world at large. What we see is there are barriers to entry, there is prejudice, there is inequality, rampant inequality. And so what I want to do on this show going forward is talk about this in so many different cons. Uh, uh, so many different concepts of it, so many different contexts. What constitutes fair play? What makes something a, as close as possible to a level playing field? Is it possible? And I also hope over time that we have disagreements, that perhaps we bring other voices in who have different takes on it. I think one of the things I would like to see more of is civil discourse in our society. We need to have people talk and say, you know, 
I, I think otherwise. I don't think there's really a problem as much as you say it is. And we should be able to have a discussion and, and bring out our information, our facts. Not too much out there anymore seems to be fact-based. And I would argue both sides are guilty of that. You want your segment to involve fair play. Right. Absolutely. I think that we need more of that. We need more fairness in our society. So that's what I hope to do in these upcoming weeks and months is talk about this in the context of sports. I am so looking forward to it. So what I'm looking at these days when it comes to fair play is the National Football League. The National Football League is clearly the most popular league in America, right? The rest of the world kind of looks at us like we're crazy. Why, why do you watch this sport? It's not even really football, right? That very little, uh, feet are only involved in a very limited amount of the game, right? But we've got the game that the rest of the world calls football is something else. We call it football. And I, I, I know what happens to me as a baseball fan. It drives me crazy. I turn on ESPN in, in the middle of baseball season. And what are they talking about? Football. They're right. talking about football 24-7. They're talking right. about football 12 months a year. Everybody is crazy about football in this country. Baseball is by far not the most popular sport. I right? hate everything about football except watching it. Okay. I can't yeah. explain it, but yeah. I love to watch it, even though it, it, I'm embarrassed to say that. Well, I don't like watching it anymore. I, I, I lost interest over time. Um, and, and a lot of it has to do with everything I think is wrong about football. But football does have a fascinating racial history, something that I think many of you listeners probably don't know about and I only read about later on, because football had black players since the beginning. The NFL was founded in 1920, and one of their original players was a guy named Fritz Pollard, who was an African-American graduate of Brown University. Pollard played a number of positions, mostly running back. He also played quarterback, okay? So there was a black quarterback way back when, at the very beginning of, of pro football, which many people don't know about. But more than that, he was several teams coach. So he was a coach in professional football right from the beginning. And the NFL had, from its founding in 1920 through 1933, 13 African Americans who played pro football. And this was long before Major League Baseball reintegrated. Do you think that was because football wasn't as popular then? It wasn't on television then? It was sort of this uh, sideshow relative to baseball. That's part of the reason. The other reason is, well, football was played in college, and that's where you know a lot of the, the talent was coming from. And colleges, at least in the Northeast, had African-American players. So there was a ready source. Where, where was the talent coming from for baseball? Well, baseball talent came from all over, but the college players were not few and far between, but, you know, occasional, some of the players, and a lot of them were coming from the Deep South, uh, and it was generally played everywhere, segregated, whereas football in college, at least in, in the Northeast region, was not segregated. Not that there were lots of black players, but there were quite a few teams that did have a few black players. I think in the Lou Gehrig story, the, the biography of Lou Gehrig, I don't remember who wrote it, the one that I read, but um, he was the only enrolled college baseball player. He, was, he went to Columbia and then went into professional sports from that platform, but um, it was rare. Yeah, it, I, I don't know if I would call it rare, but it wasn't common. 
you know? I mean, there were, you know, Connie Mack for the Philadelphia A's liked to have uh, college graduates on his team. Uh, Christy Mathewson went to Bucknell. Uh, there were a fair number of, of college players, but still it was by far not the majority. And whereas football, almost from the get-go, was pretty much being drawn from college. So... Um, what, you, what you then had, though, was, which we'll go into a little bit later, is the NFL then had a color bar that came down. After 1934, there were no black players until 1946. Astonishing. Takes your breath away. We're going to be back with Fair Play with Duke Goldman right after these messages. Do stay with us. I'm having a blast. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. Hey everyone, Gordon Oliver here. I am privileged, along with my co-pilot Tina Marie, to gather and share a community of people, organizations, and experts who are making a difference in improving and positively impacting the financial lives of others. Financial peace of mind is a marathon, not a sprint, so we're cutting through the clutter to help you attain or continue to attain financial freedom. Summer is here, and it's not too late to get the kids into some local summer activities. Join Junior Achievement of Western Mass President Jennifer Connolly to hear available summertime options, Saturday at 9.30, here on WHMP. Martha Graham, Mum and Chance, Blind Boys, Cherish the Ladies, Peking Acrobats, Ukraine Philharmonic, Nikki, and Stomp, all on their way to the UMass Fine Arts Center. Mum and Chance in their 50th year, Cherish the Ladies, A Celtic Christmas, the Martha Graham Dance Company with the lost Graham masterwork, Canticle for Innocent Comedians. Snarky Puppy unleashes their ferocious improvisation. Nikki shines a ray of pop sunshine. And Gina Chavez blends the sound of the Americas with tension and grace. Dance, classical, jazz, theater, plus performances you just can't categorize. Stomp arrives for three performances. Head-turning trumpeter Sean Jones leads his quartet on stage, plus visits the UMass High School Jazz Festival. Plan now for a season of uplifting arts performances. Go to the UMass Fine Arts Center website for the full calendar and tickets. Hi, it's Jessica, owner of Fitness Together in Amherst and Northampton. As the weather gets warmer, I know many of you are thinking about your summer workout schedule. And if you're like me, it's all about finding work, life, and workout balance, which is why when you sign up at Fitness Together, you'll put a schedule together with your personal trainer that actually works for you, is stress-free, and will help you stay fit, healthy, and balanced. Visit us online today at fitnesstogether.com, Amherst, or Northampton, and sign up for your free consultation. If your Spanish-speaking employees spoke better English, would that be good for business? If your English-speaking employees spoke a little Spanish, would that be good for business? The International Language Institute delivers workplace language training, improving communication among coworkers and with customers. You get financial assistance with the Massachusetts Workplace Training Express Fund. They cover 50 to 100% of the cost. So let's get going. Call or email the International Language Institute in downtown Northampton. Northampton Neighbors is free of charge and open to all with a range of social and volunteer opportunities as well as services and support for members 55 and older in the city of Northampton. Need help? Want to help? Join us as a member, a volunteer, or donor. Northampton Neighbors is about more than aging in place. We're about engaging in place, this place. Find us online at northamptonneighbors.org or call us at 413-341-0160.
This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 And we are back with Fair Play with Duke Goldman. We're talking about racism and the NFL. Yours, Duke. The NFL in 1934 brought down a color barrier. And in large part, that color barrier was instituted by the owner of a team no longer called the Redskins, but they were called that then, and they were owned by a gentleman named George Marshall. Marshall bought the team when they were in Boston. So the team was... Boston Redskins? Correct. They were in Boston. But before that, they were called the Boston Braves. And Marshall decided, you know what? Um, we don't, there's already a Boston Braves baseball team. We want our own identity. And then, you know, he, he thought... Well, we have a coach named William Dietz, known as Lone Star. And William Dietz is, he's an Indian, or what we now call a Native American. So let's call the team the Redskins. Interestingly enough, researchers later found out that William Dietz was not a Native American, not at all. But this team was moved to Washington because that's where Marshall had his businesses. Primarily, he was a laundry magnet. And he moved his team to Washington in 1937. The team won two championships, NFL championships, in 1937 and 1942, although they were very famous for losing the title game in 1940 to the Chicago Bears by the score of 73 to nothing. <laughs> but they did win two championships. They were in five title games. Um, but they became terrible in the late 40s and into the 50s, not coincidentally when slowly the NFL integrated from 1946 on. In 1946, the L.A. Rams ad, uh, signed uh, uh, a guy named Strode and a guy named Washington. Um, at the same time, there was another football league called the AAFC, which ended up merging with the NFL, and they signed Marion Motley and Bill Willis. And these were the first black players in football. The, the MLB, Major League Baseball, had not reintegrated yet, but they had signed Jackie Robinson already. Okay, so starting in 1946, you had slowly the teams in football integrating and not the Washington Redskins. Were those African-American players that were integrated into the NFL then in 46, were they college players? Yes, yes, generally. So, so that was just... That was a minor league for in yes, the NFL. yeah, yeah, yeah. The, there there have been some minor league, you know, uh, uh, entities in football, but for the most part, f football has always gotten most, if not all, of its players from the colleges. Um, the southern colleges did not integrate until like the 1970s, but m more and more colleges around the country were integrated, and so teams throughout the NFL were integrating. But George Marshall was, as one author said, a hidebound racist. He said, I was born in West Virginia, and I will never play a Negro on the Redskins, okay? And in some ways, what's so interesting, we're going to get into this a lot more, because right now we have an owner named Daniel Snyder who owns the team now called the Washington Commanders. And Daniel Snyder, for so many years, when there were so many people saying, you've got to change the name the Redskins, and he said... I will never change the Redskins' name. Daniel Snyder is kind of the George Marshall reincarnated in so many different ways. So how long did it take the Washington Redskins to integrate? Many of you out there who are baseball fans know the Boston Red Sox were the last major league baseball team to integrate. They integrated in 1959. By the way, the Boston Bruins integrated before 
the Boston Red Sox. Is that right? Yes. They had a player named Willie O'Ree who's still alive, and he played for the Bruins in 1958. Washington Redskins did not play a black player until 1962. That's how long it took them. And guess what? They didn't do it because they wanted to. They did it because Stuart Udall, the Secretary of the Interior under John F. Kennedy, essentially forced Marshall to integrate. He announced the Redskins would not be allowed to play in the municipally owned RFK Stadium without black players. And it took a little while, but finally they forced Marshall's hand. Now here again, we have a lot of interesting parallels between Marshall and his reincarnated Snyder, current owner of the now called Washington Commanders. Um, Snyder, remember, said, uh, we're never going to change the name. And then what happened? Well, Nike came along and said, we're not going to sell Washington Redskins uh, merchandise online. FedEx said, we, we, we request that you change the team name. And Mayor Muriel Bowser of Washington, D.C., uh, much like Udall, said that if the Redskins keep that name, that will be an obstacle to them staying in Washington when their lease expires in 2027. And then Daniel Snyder decided, oh, gee, I better change the name. But that's what it took. Yeah, Daniel Snyder, a lot of us um, don't have a profound level of respect for Daniel Snyder in a lot of respects, and that's certainly right up there at the top of the list. But I, I always wonder... Even if you look at the branch Rickies, the people who really were uh, committed to integration, in this case, in baseball, was it because Jackie Robinson was so good? Or was it because branch Ricky was uh, so committed to integrating society? What do you think? Well, uh, this question, of course, has been bantied about, and there's no definitive answer. Uh, most of the people I know, I know well somebody who wrote probably the definitive biography of Branch Rickey, a guy named Lee Lowenfish, and um, Lee says it was for both reasons, okay? I, I, I believe that. I think Branch Rickey did have a conviction that this was the right thing to do, but he also thought, and I'm going to do it before everybody else does, and I'm going to get the best black players, and it's, we're really going to go to town. So, and what do you think about the NFL? Do you think that these owners, other than than uh, Marshall, were integrating because of a social commitment, or because they thought that they'd uh, be growing their league? Uh, in the case of the Los Angeles Rams, the field they were playing at told them they also that they wouldn't let them play there unless they had black players. In the case of Paul Brown, who was the owner of the Cleveland Browns, his view was: I want the best players who are going to be the best on my team because I want to win championships and I don't care what color they are, which, which is fine. You know, I, I think that's good enough. Um, what I am doing now with this, with this Washington story is that I have written a case for UMass's McCormick Sports Management School, and this case is now up on their website, and I'm going to be teaching a class next Friday and the Friday afterwards. I won't be on the radio with those two days. Instead, I'll be with them, and I'm going to have the students reading the case that I wrote, looking at some video, and doing, um, competing with each other to come up with, first of all, a statement about how the now-called Washington Commanders, and we'll get into that in future weeks, will be dedicating their 2022 season to, quote, fans of all backgrounds. Now, by the way, they're not doing that, but I think they should. Um, this they are doing. They are creating a new mascot. It has not been announced yet. And I'm going to ask my students to come up with a mascot that 
that in their estimation would be an inclusive one. And then I'm going to also ask them to suggest some ideas for promotional days and events that address the racism, anti-nativism, and sexual misconduct, because that we're going to go into a great deal, because that's been rampant with the Washington Commanders football team that exists with this team. Um, this story, sadly, is the gift that keeps on giving. I, I could talk about this for weeks and months on end. Because and you're just, going to on Friday's on on. Fair Play segment. Um, and, and I'm going to be thinking about what this mascot should... Hey, how about the Washington insurrectionists? Yeah, well, uh, you know, it could be that. The, uh, <laughs> the Washington QAnoners, you right. know? <laughs> <laughs> right. So. I mean, you know, it's... it's I, I cannot believe that the NFL is allowing this to go on. I think Daniel Snyder has to go, and it's as simple as that. And, you know, they're paying Roger Goodell, the commissioner of the NFL, 40 to $50 million to hew the party line, the company line, and all those other owners. They're quaking in their boots that they'll be examined. So they're giving Daniel Snyder a, pun intended, free pass. Well, he did. We only have, well, we don't have any time, but he did finally capitulate. Um, and uh, the Redskins' name is thankfully a, a yes. thing in the past formally, even though uh, the culture lives on, unfortunately. Duke, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Everybody, have a great weekend, and I look forward to talking with you on Monday. Bye-bye, Dan. The movement is the rhythm to us. Freedom is this like is the afternoon buzz with Buzz on our next show, Josh Silver, the executive chairman of Represent Us, will be the host, and there will be a special edition of Black in the Valley. Promises to be a great show, so please join them Monday at 9 o'clock. Bill Newman, weekdays at 9 and again at 5. WHMP, news, information, and the arts. What if there were a way to go into cancer surgery or treatment feeling more comfortable and optimistic? Recorded meditations can help. Doctors have said that it makes their job simpler. Nurses tell us their patients may go home sooner and need less pain medication. Cancer the only live and local talk in the Valley and for the Valley. WHMP Northampton, WHMQ Greenfield, a Northampton radio group station. It's 5 o'clock.